Hey, welcome to the Church at Arkansas this morning. We're glad you're here. If you're uh, just joining us, um, we're finding ourselves in the middle of a series called Like Father, Like Son, where we're looking at some of those things in the Christian life, those disciplines or habits, things that we do that make us more like Christ. And uh, today we're going to look at this idea of delight and talk about, uh, as it says in Psalm 37, 4, to take delight in the Lord. And... Uh, you know, I think sometimes we, here's what I need sometimes. I just, I just need a correction in my thinking. I need to know, sometimes I just need to know something I didn't know or to be reminded. Um, when I was, well, my truck had this habit that started last spring, I think, of just randomly beeping at the most inopportune times. And the first time it ever did it, I live over on Razorback Road, and so from here, you know, down Mission, you know, west on North Street, or uh, west on Maple. And uh, I got right there by the KD house. You know where that is? Is anybody a KD? Well, good, because uh, right as three college girls came out of the house, they were there on the sidewalk, that was the first time my truck ever just had a life of its own and went beep, beep, beep. Right when these girls are standing there, I just, you know, I had to be the creepy guy in the little blue truck at that point. And so the horn, it won't stop. And so there's no way I'm going to drive all the way down Maple across the whole campus with the horn going. Because how many stop signs and red lights there are? So I quick make a right turn on, I don't know, what's the street by Sigma Chi? Anyway, I turned down there, and I'm just trying to get away from people, get away from campus. So I turned down that road, and it's still going. And you make your horn honk by pressing down, right? So I just thought, well, if I, keep, if I pull on it, it'll stop. Well, that wasn't doing it. And I guess it was just frustration. I just banged it as hard as I could, and it stopped for a moment. And then it just started up again. And I finally got home. And I guess once I turn the truck off, it, it just, it just it doesn't do it anymore. But, you know, in the number of months since then, it occasionally does it. And I've learned you just bang as hard as you can on the horn and it quits. You would think at some point in these number of months, you have to understand, I'm not very mechanical. So it didn't really ever occur to me, like, to fix it. And so last... Monday was, I was driving here, came down north, turned on mission, and it had been doing it since my house. And so I'm banging on it and banging on it, and it would stop and it'd keep going. I keep banging on it. And I finally got it to quit, and then I saw her coming. She was jogging over on my side of the street, and I, my first thought was, please no, please no. And right when I got to her, Beep. And I wasn't quick enough to just turn and wave to somebody who wasn't there. So, again, somebody thinks I'm either a jerk or the creepy guy in the blue truck. So I get here, and one of the first guys I see is Richard Louth. And Richard does a lot of great work around the church for us, just fixing things and building stuff. And I said, Richard, can you come out and help me with this? Well, here was my solution. Cut the wire. Right? There has to be a wire, right? And wouldn't there a wire going from the horn to, you know? And he said, well, 
we could just take the fuse out. Well, that never even occurred to me. I could have done that. I could have done that three, four, five months ago when it started. It just didn't even occur. I didn't think that way. And I think for some of us, we get into the Christian life, and it, we, we end up thinking wrongly about it. We, 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 develop, we develop this way of, of thinking and doing life that really has nothing to do with the truth. It has nothing to do with how God designed all this to be. Like, think about it. We all know we should delight in the Lord, right? Whatever that means. I mean, to delight in someone or something is to find pleasure or enjoyment in it. We, we know that, right? We should do it. There's lots of things we should do. But why don't we? What is it that keeps us from doing the thing, the very thing we were designed for? To find pleasure and an enjoy, enjoyment in the one who made us. Why don't we do that? If... Uh, if you have your Bible, um, turn to Jeremiah 2. And this is a passage we've looked at before. Um, and, and while you're turning there, let me ask, um, who are the runners in the room? Like, you love to run, cardio? I knew you'd raise your hand. Okay, I, I used to, I used to do, run more than I do now. When we lived in Little Rock years ago, one of the things I loved doing was uh, on a really hot day, when it was like 105 and humid, I would go for a run. Now, I never lasted very long, and the reason I did it was because there was nobody else doing it. I thought, okay, I'm 40 years old at the time, I'm going to go out for a run, and nobody else is here, you know, doing it. That doesn't apply here, because there's all kinds of people out there running when it's 100 degrees, when you live in a town with a world-class track program, so I don't do that anymore. And if I do, I'm always, and here's the other thing I used to do. I used to try to, like, purposely avoid shade. So, like, if I was running down, you know, and you can feel the heat coming off the road, and you'd see trees up ahead, and you could see the shade, I would go to the other side so I wasn't in the shade. Now I look for the shade all the time. Then, no, I mean, but you get really thirsty when you do that. Well, I mean, what's the thirstiest you've ever been? There was one time I remember, probably the only time I remember thinking, I'm not sure if I'm going to make it. Because I'd gone out for a run, and I'd gotten out where we lived in Little Rock. Uh, Interstate 30 was probably about a mile from our house. And so I'd run out there, and then I was kind of going west on the access road. <clears throat> so I'm basically running down I-30. And I guess I got about two miles from our house, and I, I, it was time to turn around. And... I had no water, and I mean, it was 105 degrees, probably whatever it was, and I got back to within probably a half mile of our house, and I was looking for every bit of shade I could find, and I just, I didn't, I don't think I was sweating like I knew I should have been. I mean, my body was beyond thirsty at that point. And here's the thing, I wonder if for some of us, we're, we're so far beyond thirst, we don't even know it. Because we're all thirsty. In fact, look at, uh, look at Jeremiah 2, verse 13. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. So, 
Here, here's God's invitation. Come delight in me. Find your pleasure, your enjoyment in me. I, I am the spring of living water. Everything, I mean, that's what Jesus said, right? Jesus said, I will give you living water and it will well up in you to eternal life. So there's this invitation to come and drink deeply, to enjoy and be fulfilled in the one who created us. And we all know we should do that. I mean, nobody would question that. But we don't do it. But the invitation remains, come delight in me, come drink deeply. But what happens? We've forsaken him, which means we've, we've really just kind of turned from him. And the problem is I'm still thirsty. So if I'm not going to find living water here, and, and it's what I really need, well, I begin to look somewhere else. And we dig our own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Now, what's a cistern? It's basically a container, a waterproof container to hold water. Now, it would be really important to have that in a place where water is scarce. Now, of course, in Jesus, there's, there's no scarcity. There's all that we can drink in. But once we've turned away, we've got to find some way in this life to be fulfilled to experience life, to experience pleasure, to experience something because I'm not looking there. And so we, we start to dig our own cisterns. And that can be a relationship, that could be our job, it could be money and the stuff money can buy. It can be our position, it can be our looks, it can be our accomplishments, something because I'm not finding fulfillment here. I'm not drinking of, of this spring of living water, but I've got to have it because I'm thirsty. We're all thirsty. We all need that. And so I begin to look for life and all these other things, but those things weren't made to provide what I really need, which is living water in a relationship with Christ. And, and, and yet I keep looking and here's what happens. I think the longer we keep doing life this way, apart from God, and, and we might even, and we'll see it in a minute, we might know about God, but we're not drinking deeply of Him. We're not delighting in Him. We're looking for life somewhere else. The longer we do that, I think a couple things start to happen. First, I don't really want to delight in Him because I'm kind of disappointed in Him. Life hasn't really worked out like I thought it was going to. God isn't really blessing me like, what about all these promises? How come those aren't coming true? And I don't stop to realize I'm, I'm kind of looking for life apart from him. So I'm kind of disappointed. And the other thing that happens is as I be, begin to, um, well, I'll tell you what, turn to Romans 1. If you don't have your Bible, it's there in the worship guide. Romans chapter 1. As I begin, to, or as I continue to look for life somewhere else, as I delight in other things, verse 21 says, For although they knew God, or knew about God, 
They neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But what happened? Their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. So the longer we live this way, we know about God, but we don't really delight in him or drink deeply of him. We, we do life kind of, well, like those around us. What happens? Our thinking becomes futile. We're not thinking correctly. We're not thinking correctly about God or ourselves or life. And our hearts become darkened. We don't even see the life that's available to us anymore. But it gets worse. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Well, we're too sophisticated to make idols out of birds and animals and reptiles, but we make them out of jobs and our looks and our accomplishments and our money and our car and a house and whatever. So what happens? Therefore, God gave them over in their sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. And then look at verse 25. They exchanged the truth about God and doing life that way. They exchanged the truth for a lie. And what did they do? What do we do? We worship and serve created things rather than creator God who is forever praised. Amen. And the longer we live this way, the, and it can be subtle. I'm not talking about even this big life of sin, however you would define that. I'm just talking about, I don't look here for all that I need. I don't look to Christ for life. I just kind of look for it in other things, and I know about him. The longer we do that, I think the more we come, become disappointed with him, because life's not working. And the other thing that happens, we pile up th this sense that um, I'm disappointing him. Because the longer I live this way, the more I'm aware of sin in my life and how much I'm really kind of ignoring him. And I know there's something wrong. And it can be something big that you've done. It can be lots of little things, that persistent sin that won't go away. And the problem is you and I will not delight in someone we feel is disappointed with us. So what if I told you that on Thursday, as I was getting ready for this morning, I said, Lord, would you show me the sin of someone who's going to be in the room on Sunday? No name, just their sin. And then I wrote it on that whiteboard. Because you know it's there in your life. He sees it. And the problem is he sees even more than we see. And that's what this life over here begins to do. We accumulate this life of sin, this life of going our own way. You know, the essence of sin is really just me going my own way. Right? If I live, it doesn't mean I'm, I'm sinless. If I seek God and delight in him. But where sin begins is that forsaking, that turning. 
and then me just doing life kind of on my terms, going my way. Um, look, at, look at Colossians chapter 2. Because this is what we're, when you were dead, this is verse 13. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, what did God do? He made you alive with Christ. Before you placed your faith in Christ, before you believed, you were dead in sin. I was dead in sin. I had no relationship with God. I couldn't relate to Him. I was dead spiritually. I was dead in sin. I had no ability to delight in Him. But once I believed, once I received Christ, what did God do? God made me alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which did what? It stood against us and condemned us. He canceled that. Here's the problem. If we don't know that, that when you placed your faith in Christ, your legal indebtedness, God canceled. So your sin is not on you anymore. He canceled it. If we don't know that, if we don't have that change in perspective, then what happens? I walk around under that cloud of guilt and shame, and I'm not going to seek someone. I'm not going to delight in someone who I know is at best disappointed with me, maybe very angry. So let me ask you, where is your thinking on that? Would you say you're more delighted with God or disappointed in God? And how would he answer about you? Is he more delighted or is he disappointed? Now, to the extent that you have felt some nervousness the last few minutes, um, not knowing if that's you under there, then there's no name. I would say to the extent that you have been nervous about your sin being revealed in a moment here, you're not understanding what I'm saying. It was canceled. It was forgiven. It's not on you anymore. So if I was to ask God to show me your sin, That's what we'd all see. You're not a disappointment to him. He's not angry with you. That, that's a picture of him delighting in you. Your sin is not on you. That legal indebtedness was canceled. And it, it, it can't be brought up again. Um, what did Jesus say? Jesus was on the cross. He 
He's been on the cross for hours at this point. And in John chapter 19, it says, Later, knowing that everything had now been finished, and so that Scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he'd received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. That, that's what Paul's talking about in Colossians 2. It is finished. Jesus finished it. He completed the work he had come to do, and that was to forgive your sin. So that your, your legal indebtedness to God, that condemnation, is no longer there. Now you're free to seek him and delight in him, knowing there's no condemnation. It's gone. And again, to the extent that you were feeling nervous about what you were going to see, it, it, it maybe is just a little indication that your perspective needs to change. You need to believe that it is finished. If God's going to hold your sin over you, well, then it's not finished. It has to be punished again. It was, it was punished one time. It was canceled. Now, verse 15. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. The, the, the Jewish authorities and the Romans, they thought they were making Jesus a public spectacle. And in a sense, they were. Only when he did this, he disarmed those spiritual powers that would seek to destroy us. And so they're disarmed. They have no power. The only power that our enemy has is whatever power we still give him. Now, how does he work? He works by lying. He works by deceiving. So if he can deceive you and me into thinking that ah, it's, God's disappointed with you, He's, his patience is running out, oh yeah, that big thing, yeah, he forgave that, but all those little things you keep doing... That little persistent sin you can't get past? He's disappointed in you. You're never going to delight in someone like that. It's finished. Your sin's not on you. And now you're free to delight and, and go enjoy living water. But again, if you don't know that, you're not going to go seek him and, and drink deeply of living water. You're going to feel, he's got something on me. I, maybe it, at least we need a cooling off period before I go seek him. I think I've shared this with you before, but this, this is how you can know if maybe you're being deceived. If you believe something about you that you would never tell someone else to believe about themselves, 
you're deceived. Here's what I mean. Let's say, um, let's say there's some sin that you've been struggling with and it's gone on for months or years. And surely, God's disappointed with you. Right? He has to be. Come on, it's gone on for years. But your friend comes and says, okay, it's kind of embarrassing, but here's what I've been struggling with, and gosh, it's gone on for so long, I, I just, I, I don't think God can forgive me anymore. What you'd probably say to your friend is, hey, uh, when you received Christ, he made you alive. He, he crucified the old you. Your, your sin's not on you anymore. You would tell your friend that. You wouldn't tell your friend, well, yeah, God is disappointed with you. You've been doing that for how long? You wouldn't tell your friend God's disappointed in them, but you believe it about you. And here's the thing with a lie. Here's the thing with deception. When you believe it long enough, it becomes true for you. At least you think it does. And so someone comes along and says, hey, your legal indebtedness has been canceled. And you're like, eh, but you don't know what I've done. You don't know how long I've done it. You don't know that I plan on doing it tonight. It doesn't matter what you've done. If what you've done is too big or too persistent, you're saying it, it, this payment wasn't enough? <coughs> So let me encourage you with this. If you are stuck in this, you're stuck in this, this relationship with God that uh, he's disappointed, he's angry, he's, his patience is running out. The good news is you're deceived because it's not true. There really is no bad news. But you are going to have to do the hard work of believing the truth. I think it was a year or two ago, I was reading from Ephesians 1 to someone who was believing some things about herself that uh, they weren't true. I won't go into it, but she was believing some very awful things about herself. And as I read Ephesians 1 to her, just talked about her identity in Christ. Who is she now in Christ? She... Uh, she didn't respond very well. Um, I, just there wasn't really any visible change in her. And many months later, she told me, it made me angry when you were reading that because it wasn't true. Now today, she would tell you, of course it's true. But she has done the hard work of believing the truth about herself and about God. And depending on what's happened in your life, you might have some hard work ahead of you to believe the truth. But the truth is what transforms you, and the truth is what sets you free from this bondage. And it begins with, it's finished. The sin barrier between you and God is no more. And He delights in you. There's no disappointment. I'm going to pray and
band's going to come up. We're going to do one more song. Let me encourage you. If, if you've been believing a lie, if you've been deceived, let today be, be the day that you begin to turn back to Christ and know there's no condemnation. There's no disappointment. There is delight. And the only way we're ever going to delight in him is knowing that he delights in us. Lord, we, gosh, we just, we live these lives and we just get all tangled up. And sometimes we don't even know how it happens. We just, at some point we, we made a little bit of a turn from you and we started to believe something that wasn't true. And before long, we're just, we're, we feel like we're so far from you and you're so disappointed in us that there's no way back. And uh, Lord, I pray for my friends here that you would help all of us to believe the truth, turn back to you, and begin to delight in you, knowing that you first delight in us and you love us. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm-hmm.